Hi, and welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, August 29th, 2022. I'm your host, Lou DeVizio. I hope your weekend was calm or productive or really whatever you wanted it to be. I know I took it easy while keeping an eye on the news. Of course, homeless encampments, it's been a big talking point in Albuquerque the last couple of weeks. On the podcast this week, Jean Grant talks with District 4 City Councilor Brooke Bassan about her decision to move to permanently ban homeless encampments in the city. That decision came just two months after she and the majority of other councilors voted to allow what they labeled as safe outdoor spaces. That means homeless encampment. So that reversal was confusing for a lot of people watching. We've covered it on the show, but Jean really wanted to ask Councilor Bassan why she changed her mind. That's coming up later in the podcast. We'll also hear from our line opinion panel. They're going to react to that interview. But first, let's get to the headlines impacting people in New Mexico right now. New Mexico's top environmental regulator is warning that taxpayers could be on the hook for cleaning up groundwater contamination linked to PFAS, or toxic forever chemicals. It's a topic that Laura Paskus and Ourland have been following for years. Now, New Mexico Environment Secretary James Kenney told a panel of lawmakers Thursday that plumes of PFAS compounds are projected to expand outside the boundaries of Cannon Air Force Base. The U.S. Defense Department is still challenging the state's authority to force cleanup of the carcinogenic toxins at Cannon and Holloman Air Bases. It's a unique issue in our state only because the Defense Department has worked with other communities in Texas, Pennsylvania, Vermont, and Colorado. In those states, they've worked to remediate similar damage. But here in New Mexico, we're the only state that's still being sued by the federal government over this issue. According to records obtained by the State Environmental Department through public record requests, the federal government has no plans to clean up any contamination beyond Cannon's boundaries. According to data from the research and advocacy organization, the Environmental Working Group, PFAS chemicals have been confirmed at nearly 400 military installations and at least 200 million people in the U.S. are drinking water that's contaminated with these forever chemicals. The nation's oldest civil rights organization is urging a judge to remove and disqualify Otero County Commissioner Coy Griffin from holding future public office. The NAACP says Griffin, who's also the co-founder of the group Cowboys for Trump, has tried to stoke insurrection and disenfranchise voters, especially people of color. Written final arguments and judgment are pending after a two-day bench trial against Griffin. In a court filing, the NAACP also noted that Griffin compared the January 6th insurrection to the Black Lives Matter movement. New polling data from the Albuquerque Journal shows Democrats with double-digit leads in contests for four state offices. But the race for governor is a bit closer. Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver holds a 45-33% to lead over Republican challenger Audrey Trujillo. In the race for Attorney General, Bernalillo County District Attorney Raul Torres is leading private attorney Jeremy Gay 49-33%. to Democrat Laura Montoya is ahead 44-33% to in the state treasurer's race. And Democrat Stephanie Garcia Richard is up 46-35% to on Republican Jefferson Byrd for Commissioner of Public Lands. As I mentioned, the governor's race is quite a bit closer, but incumbent Michelle Lujan Grisham still holds a lead. 47% of likely voters surveyed by the journal last week said they would vote for Lujan Grisham. 40% said they plan to vote for the Republican nominee, Mark Ronchetti. There's some good news on the employment front. 
Restaurant and hotel employment totals are finally up above pre-pandemic levels. That's according to data from the State Department of Workforce Solutions and the governor's office. It's a milestone we've been waiting for since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Between December 2019 and December 2021, the New Mexico Restaurant Association reported the state lost nearly 1,100 full-service restaurants and about 20,000 jobs in that industry. That's it for headlines today, Monday, August 29th. Now, I'm going to throw things over to Gene for his discussion with Albuquerque City Councilor Brooke Bassan on the future of homeless encampments in the city of Albuquerque. District 4 City Councilor Brooke Bassan with us today gets a little clarity on what's happening with homeless encampments and particularly the vote taken last Monday uh, to place a moratorium until next August on uh, encampments. And there's another piece of legislation that's yet to be uh, discussed as well. Council, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, this is a hot subject. There's no doubt about it. It's on everyone's minds now. Something seems to have elevated now that, that the moratorium vote has happened. Let me ask you quickly uh, about that vote, and then we can kind of peel back uh, to before the vote, some, time, some things that have happened. Uh, my first question, why a whole year? Why an, an, a, such a length of time for this moratorium? Sure. So kind of, and I'm going to tie into some of that peeling back at the same time because they go hand in hand. Gotcha. Uh, the moratorium is not to just kick the can down the road, contrary to what a lot of people think. Uh, the moratorium is there so that we can put a halt on any pending applications and any future applications from coming in regarding safe outdoor spaces. While the second piece of legislation, which I've introduced, goes through the proper channels. So there's an ordinance I've introduced that will actually repeal all verbiage of safe outdoor spaces from our integrated development ordinance, the IDO. And that has to go through the Environmental Planning Commission first. So it's scheduled to be heard by the commission in September. Um, and you know they have different avenues they can take, whether they defer it or whether they end up voting in favor of it or, or not. Um, but that's how it will eventually come before the council. So in, in a way of making sure that they had time and this ordinance had time to go through the proper channels rather than just a bombarded amendment, this was where the moratorium came in. So if it doesn't happen through that channel before the, the EPC has their meeting, then that's where August comes in. We'll end up doing the regular annual IDO update before then. So this is a way to make sure that we hear properly hear the ordinance that is scheduled to come before us, but without getting anything sneaking in or rushing in in the meantime. Gotcha. I, I, another question, why a permanent ban? Are we not in a all try all things situation with our homeless here? Are encampments that bad that we have to ban them forever? So, I mean, this, this again goes back to sort of the beginning of this situation, right? I was a sponsor of, of something called Living Lots that failed the council. So I don't even want to get into the nitty gritty with that, but safe outdoor spaces is what I would consider a second step, not even a first step. So in hindsight, I wish I would have really had that fallen in place when we voted on safe outdoor spaces. Uh, we do have that, the, you know, the administration has been saying they want to take a, all tools in the toolbox approach, but once we voted in favor and passed the safe outdoor spaces we were i began to hear and this in the public with different press conferences and media alerts that the administration is not really going to change their approach to enforcement mm -hmm. on different properties in front of businesses or at city parks 
And that was something that I was under the impression that it would at least it would change a little bit, if not even more than that. So that took me by surprise. But then you add in the overwhelming amount of people that reached out saying that they were in absolute opposition of safe outdoor spaces. And I think that as elected officials, we have the, the duty to be able to represent and say, well, this is what most people are saying they don't want. And I recognize that there are people in favor of safe outdoor spaces, uh, including myself at one point in time. But we have to listen to the majority of Albuquerque. And because they are saying that we need to find a solution, but this is not one that they're comfortable with, I think that we have a duty to make sure to follow through with that. Mm -hmm. On the show last week, I was a bit critical of you and others who had made a turnaround in this. So I'm very curious, what was the, was there a common thread or theme that you heard from folks who were not crazy about this idea? I mean, was it something, there had to be something beyond just the numbers to make you change your mind. What, what, what was out there that you were hearing? Sure. I mean, there's a variety of comments, obviously. So you have people that thought that sanctioned encampments like safe outdoor spaces would become more Coronado parks, which is not true. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, these parks would help 40 to 50 people. Uh, they would need more regulation. Uh, some people wanted to know more of a plan and council did vote in opposition of doing that. Um, you know, I think that we want to help people. I know that people realize that we need to get more homeless individuals a house and, and we need to find ways to do that. But at the same time, I think that, again, we have to listen to people were concerned about danger. People were concerned about drug trafficking, uh, sex trafficking. They were concerned about filth, uh, increase of crime in their areas. So again, we have to be able to respect not only those that are unhoused, but we have to also be able to respect the surrounding residents that have houses and businesses in the area too. Mm -hmm. Let me read you, uh, you might recognize these words, they're from you, it's a quote from you, but this goes back uh, a little bit and it touches on a point you just made I want to expand on. Um, your pushback says, quote, it requires more funding, more infrastructure, more planning, more oversight, more organization, and it's definitely something that will take a lot more work, meaning this plan. I hear, I hear enforcement in there pretty loudly, and you've been pretty consistent on that from day one on this. When you say enforcement, and I, I know you've used the word trespassing quite a, quite a bit, but there's a lot more than trespass going on out there that I think folks are yeah. frustrated with. Uh, that, that would be the least of it, I suppose. In your, in your scenario, how would, how would enforcement look like? What would that look like when someone calls? Do police just automatically show up when there's homeless folks around? Describe what, what you mean by a little more enforcement. Sure. When I talk about enforcement, and this is what I hear from constituents, too, that are asking for help. They don't want uh, persons to be defecating on the property and in front of their businesses. They don't want tents and needles to be at public parks when they want to be able to use them as a public piece of property for their own enjoyment, too, where it's safe. So I, when I say enforcement, I mean, in addition to trespassing, which you know, it does exist, but there's also laws about loitering and there's laws about overnight camping. And we have not been enforcing a lot of that. We've been offering a 72 hour rule, right? And so typically when the Albuquerque Community Safety Department makes first contact with somebody in an encampment, they are offering them 72 hours to move. Where do they move to? That's part of the problem, right? So are we talking like, okay, you need to move a block away and now your 72 hours starts over again? that's not really a solution. So to me, when I speak of enforcement, I think that, you know, I was actually talking to somebody about this earlier, where 
it's not that the police need to come in and just be a heavy hand and just start citing and arresting everybody. But if there is drug dealing going on, if there's drug usage going on, if there is a law being broken, then we can't continue to allow that to happen. We can't continue to offer warnings and just make sure that we we're playing this shuffling game throughout our city. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that people know that there are places, there are nonprofits that exist and that are operating and very functional with their experience and expertise. We need to make sure to leverage that we need to work together with the other partners. I've never claimed to be an expert in treating homelessness and, and figuring out a solution with that, but there are people that have dedicated their lives to doing so. So if somebody is going to choose to camp uh, and, not, and not take some of those services, then we need to look and see, hey, are they breaking a law? Because if they are, that's not okay and we can't let that continue. Mm -hmm. How about for businesses, there's residents and there's businesses and businesses have been suffering in, in some corridors. It, it, how loud is that voice that you've been hearing from your constituent business constituents? Oh, it's it's probably I would I would say, and if I had to guess, I mean, they're equally loud, okay. right? Because you have businesses who are also residents, but you have residents that are businesses. But there's a lot of people that say that their businesses are struggling. They're getting they're getting broken into they're getting and it, that goes beyond just you know, the the homeless problem that we have here in Albuquerque, that's also a huge, I believe, drug problem, right? And trying to make sure that people find money to get their next fix. That's an underlying issue that we need to make sure to work on and find the solution to that. But but businesses are struggling and they're suffering a lot. So we're hearing a lot from them. And, and a lot of the people that if they're camped in front of a business or sleeping and they have to step over a person just to walk through their front door. One example that I heard of uh, recently was there is a business that reached out and said that they actually have to go and unlock the door for their patrons to come in because otherwise homeless individuals or or who knows maybe even others that want to rob them come in and they create problems inside the business so I think it's completely inappropriate that businesses have to lock their doors during business hours to only allow certain people to be able to come in. Mm -hmm. What's your feedback from APD? Um, you know, we've seen the chief at city council hearings and such making, you know, talking about his end of it, but he's also talking about manpower shortages, priorities. We hear a lot from APD. I has there been trouble getting this up, their priority chain, so to speak? Or what's your feedback that you're getting as a counselor from uh, the police department? Sure. Well, I always am a huge advocate for APD. I definitely support our police department. I think that they are really working very hard on multiple facets all at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, APD made a huge mistake in in killing James Boyd, right? And that that happened a long time ago, but now they've come a long way. I'm not saying that there's any kind of perfection happening, but we need to recognize that there is some progress happening. So we need to continue to build morale. We need to continue to get you more recruitment you happening. You know, yeah, we need to make sure that they that our officers feel supported so that they also can enforce these laws, no matter what they are, regardless, again, of if it's regarding homelessness or not, but that's their job is to serve and protect. So I do believe that, you know, the, the department is doing a really good job of, of trying to improve. I believe that they're struggling in many ways. Again, I think that they're overstretched and, and very thin, but they're trying and that's not something that we can fault them for. But on the other hand, I definitely think that, you know, you have a catch 22, you have different settlement agreements that we're still in. So uh, some people I think are guiding to the point where I keep hearing, well, we can't, we can't enforce those laws because of the settlement agreement. Mm. And my latest question is, 
Is that because of actually something written in the agreement or is it because we've kind of just let it avalanche into something bigger and now we're leaning on it as an excuse? And so to me, I think that, and I, I hear that we're doing this more, but I think that we need to reevaluate and revisit what is really expected and agreed upon in both of the settlement agreements that we're under. So that way we can say, this really is a reason why we cannot enforce this law right now, um, or why we can't go about doing something a certain way. And if it's just something we've kind of decided we better not because we don't want to get in trouble, then maybe we need to reevaluate that because we might need to actually start doing it again. Mm, interesting point there. Um, you mentioned faith-based organizations just a little bit ago. I do want to touch on that. We've got two uh, that I know of, there might be more, um, who are willing to take homeless in their parking lots, either in their cars or in tents and supply, you know, shower services, all that kind of a thing. Is there anything wrong with that? Uh, you know, faith-based institutions supplying this kind of help? Not at all. I mean, I think that that's their mission is to serve, to serve mm -hmm. their community and to help people. And if this is the form that part of that service takes, I think that that is something that, that they have every right to be able to do. Uh, and actually under federal law, the faith-based community has a right to be able to do something like this on their property if that's what they choose and we can't get in their own way. However, we have this integrated development ordinance that does get in the, its way, right? And so here we are. And I have to say, I've never been a fan of the IDO um, prior to me even being on council. So it's really, it's, it's a case in point of how sometimes the things that we actually implement and the things we start thinking will streamline and clear up problems actually end up creating them. Mm. That's a good point there. Is Are there any issues going from staying with the faith-based folks? Let's assume they get this going, this 50, 60 folks in, in, in a parking lot. I, I have to imagine though, services have to be dedicated from the city to help them, either law enforcement, social services. Is this more of a partnership or, or you're on your own, do your thing and we'll see you guys later. How, how do you see this, the relationship with those faith-based organizations? I mean, I think that that's something that if the city is going to use funding and resources in order to assist the faith based community on making sure that they can implement this. We would have to discuss that as a council, we would have to make sure that there is an agreement on if this is the proper way that city services should be utilized. Um, you know, there is the whole separation of church and state so how do you end up getting into that without an anti donation problem, how do you end up getting into that without really. Honestly, I've seen enragement from some people about having their tax dollars go to services like this. But then you have the flip side where people say, I would like my tax dollars to go to that. So I think it's about finding a middle ground. But I do believe that in my vision of it, if a faith-based organization is going to implement a safe outdoor space or, or something similar to that on their property, then it would not be under my expectation that the city would be the one to to make sure to have to find ways to operate it. Mm -hmm. We've gotten a lot of feedback from folks in Martinez town, particularly about the I-25 and Manal decision. I'm gonna use finger quotes here because the complaint is they were not included in the decision. No one ever talked to them. No one ever you know, spoke to them, the neighborhood association. You know, it, it's a difficulty. I know things are still in, in, in sort of progress on that bit there, but did we jump too soon there by letting out that I-25 and uh, Manal idea out there and actually assigning someone to run it? Were we a little too quick there in your view? 
Well, I mean, so let me start by saying that I can't really talk about any specific locations that have been approved or denied or that are pending that are uh, have the potential for appeal and this location is under appeal. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't I don't really want to get into details regarding that, uh, but I think that part of the argument that I heard from many people in Albuquerque is that, you know, this this was something that I mean, even in my district, there were plenty of people that thought that I was intending on putting a safe outdoor space right next to, you know, our multi-generational center. And that was just because it was technically zoned proper for that did not mean it was an automatic decision to go in. Mm -hmm. But people are saying they need to be included. And why wouldn't they say that? This is part of their city too. This is their neighborhoods that we're talking about. And so that is something that we need to make sure on everything we do to have the due diligence to be able to discuss it with constituents as best we can. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to ask you, where do we go with the homeless situation here? I, I hear from a lot of folks that, that say on one side, they're very frustrated. We're only talking 15 to 1800 people. Why can't we get on top of this? And then there's another camp that says, oh my gosh, we're overwhelmed. You know, unless we come up with something amazing, we're, it's just not, it's not going to abate. And you mentioned earlier, uh, things that folks do talk about all the time is it has to be part of a holistic approach with other things involved as well, meaning drug abatement, you know, getting healthy, food, all the things we, clothing, all the things we take for granted. You know, our city is morphing and growing in interesting, odd ways. How do you see your personal, in your personal view, counselor, how do you see the, the problem being solved? Well, and I didn't mean to laugh when you started this, but it is something that I do start to laugh at because I thought I had an idea, right? I thought I had a solution um, and now I've changed my mind based off of what people have have requested of me as their representative. So now I get that frequently where it's like, well, okay, so we didn't like your first idea. So now what is your next idea? And I say, no, 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 that's not quite how, how it's gonna work because now we need to talk about other solutions um, right. together, right? Uh, you all made it clear that you didn't want me to just make decisions on your behalf. So. When we talk about it now and when I mention it, I do think that we need to look at that underlying problem. Like why why do we have 1,500 to 2,000 known individuals who are living on our streets and that are unhoused? Right. I would be venturing to say, and I think it would be fairly safe to say that probably a lot of them are addicted to something. So what do we do to help them with that? Or what do we do to cut off that supply? So, you know, I started talking about let's let's start finding drug dealers, right? Let's start figuring out a way to make sure that drug dealers can't sell drugs anymore. Um, or at least to minimize that, because if people can't get their fix, then maybe they won't be so um, accepting of being able to live under the circumstances in which they are. I do think that the people that want help, there are some of them that we can't identify and find, which is unfortunate. And that's where we need to keep going out and offering services. But as we saw with even Coronado Park, from what I was told, the different departments went out to Coronado Park weekly for a few weeks before they shut it down. Most of the time previous to that, people would decline services. They would decline being connected. Once the idea and once they heard that Coronado Park was going to be shut down and they would have to move, they had more people accepting services than they used to. Wow. So again, this is to me an indicator that, you know, I understand that we don't want to force people to do something against their will. I don't think we should do that either. However, we also just can't say, well, because they don't want to do this or to 
to get help or to move to certain places that they can continue to infringe on the other businesses and residents and people living in Albuquerque. That's not acceptable just to say, well, we can't hurt hurt feelings or force them into it. We have to find a way to say, you cannot continue to do this. It is not acceptable. And it is, this is where I go back to enforcement. It's against our ordinances. It's against, you can't loiter in public. You can't, you can't do that. You can't trespass if there's signage up and you certainly can't camp in uh, parks overnight, right? That's something that I remember as a teenager at 10 o'clock, we weren't allowed to be in parks and we were told to leave. And, you know, I'm not saying that I had any kind of riffraff and any kind of huge problems when I was a teenager, but I was told you can't be here. You need to go home kids. So where has that gone? Why, why did we stop doing that all of a sudden? And allowing this to continue and snowball into such a larger problem that's a good question have you heard from the administration uh following the vote on last monday i have not oh you have not interesting um was there any indication that the mayor may have reached out to see if he could flip a vote to perhaps break the break the vote have you heard anything about that i have not i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that was that was maybe going to happen or the attempt was going to be made but at the same time uh, I have not heard of any of that. Yeah. Let's talk about funding. Uh, is part of the money, uh, Councillor Brisson, uh, I'm sorry, is part of the problem money, Councillor Brisson? Do we have enough money? Are you advocating for more money for different services? How do we, I, I, once again, as you just mentioned, there has to be other things in place to help beat this down. Right. So that begs the question, what are we doing? Are, are, are we inclined to, uh, you know, get behind Gateway? Are we inclined, you know, what's sure. the sense of the council at this point? Sure. I mean, I've always been an advocate of Gateway to some extent. I mean, I, I I'm at the point now that, OK, we, we use the money to purchase this property. Voters wanted to use this money to purchase and, or build or utilize it somehow for services for homeless individuals. And, you know, now we have it. Let's improve it. Let's open it. Let's use it. And let's see where that takes us, mm -hmm. because I think that this is where we can start really working together. And that's that's a big problem we're having. We get in our own way all the time by saying, well, this is, you know, not my original idea, so we don't want to proceed with it. Or, you know, that's that's your problem, not ours. This is our problem. This is the county's problem, the city's problem, the state's problem. And we need to work together to figure it out. So we can't just depend on the nonprofits. We can't just say that, well, the county should do it all because they have the behavioral tax money or the behavioral health tax money. We can't just say that Albuquerque needs to do it because we're in the like the limits of Albuquerque. This is a collective problem and we're not gonna get anywhere if we keep doing things that ends up putting us into these little silos rather than connecting the wheels and making it actually turn. Mm -hmm. Councilor Bassan, I wanna thank you very much for your time. I know you're super busy, but this has been uh, kind of, our emails pretty clogged <laughs> with folks wanting some clarity on all of this. Um, if you could just to finish up again, you mentioned at the very top, there are some beats coming up at council. Could you go over that again? You've got uh, the IDO thing coming up and, and when, just so folks are clear on, on and if they want to keep track of how this moves along. Sure. It's going to be a little while. So right now the environmental planning commission is where the ordinance will be heard regarding the, um, the repeal for safe outdoor spaces. So mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's where people need to go in September. They can go and look up the environment. I'm sorry, I don't have the website off the top of my head. 
Um, but Environmental Planning Commission, EPC, they will hear this ordinance in September. And from there, it, it determines the timeline after that, because if they decide to defer it so they can talk about it more, that'll push it another month. If they decide to act upon it, then that will end up getting it closer to fruition one way or the other, deciding depending on how they decide. Good point there. Thank you, Councilor Bassan. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Gene, for that interview. And thank you, Councilor Bassan, for speaking with us. We took this issue up with our line opinion panel this week as well. I think we had a good group to discuss it. Serge Martinez is a professor at the UNM School of Law and has done a tremendous amount of work around affordable housing and helping the unhoused find a place to live. He joins Inez Russell Gomez, the editorial page editor at the Santa Fe New Mexican, and Merritt Allen from Vox Optima Public Relations. Here's Gene. Now let's bring in our line opinion panel for their thoughts on the recent votes by council. We're excited to have Serge Martinez. He's a professor at the UNM School of Law with us this week. Along with Inez Russell-Gomez, she's editor of the Santa Fe New Mexican's editorial page. And also Merritt Allen of Vox Optima Public Relations, one of our regulars. Glad to have you, Merritt. Thank you all for being with us this week. Now that the city has closed down Coronado Park, the only homeless encampment they've approved is facing harsh backlash from a nearby neighborhood in Martinez Town. Now, people living there say the city never reached out about putting a homeless camp nearby. One man told KRQE Television, now that there is some dialogue, it seems like the city doesn't have a solution after hearing from Councillor Bassan. Now, Merritt, let me talk to you about this first. Do you think the city has a workable plan here as you see the little bits floating in or out? Are we just making this up? Or what's your, again, what's your sense after hearing uh, Councillor Bassan's reversal on all of this? What's your sense about the plan as it stands now? Where are we? Well, I think it's clear that this administration doesn't have a plan when it comes to the unhoused. Um, because this, okay, this is the approved encampment. What about the massive encampment at Central and Tramway? Right. What about um, along uh, the overpasses along 40? Mm -hmm. um, what about along Zuni, uh, the stretches along uh, uh, Zuni uh, in uh, the International District? There are de facto encampments all over the metropolitan area and nothing is being done. Uh, and you cannot live in the metro area and not notice this is a marked change from previous administrations. Uh, it's kind of becoming like Portland where it's just okay. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly many root causes to uh, uh, homelessness, being unhoused as a lifestyle. A lot of it is mental illness and addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are interventions that I would think um, a more liberal government would want to do rather than just circling them into one park and saying, there you go. Uh, so I, I feel this is just kind of a, a failed state situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciated Councilwoman Bassan's comments about, you know, there used to be rules. You, you know, you can't be in this park after 10 p.m. We're closing right. the park. You have to go. You can't sleep on this bench. This isn't, this isn't okay. Anti-vagrancy laws. Um, I know this sounds harsh, but I think a lot of residents um, are getting fed up. Um, you know, the, the plan for I-25 and Manal, um, I, I can see where there's just a solution to have them go someplace else. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the group uh, who was camping in Coronado Park, they've simply just gone back to Coronado Park outside the fence. That's right. It, it's, it's convenient, and I guess Manal and 25 isn't that far. 
Uh, I don't know if they'll be transported. I don't know uh, if they would walk there. It's not a heavily residential area. Uh, but it is a heavily commercial area, and I can see where business owners might not appreciate that and simply throwing up a couple porta potties and saying, okay, you can be here and we'll leave you alone. That's not a plan. Yeah, good stuff there. Um, Serge, individuals could be short-sighted. We all know that. You know that, being a law school professor. Our elected leaders have to balance those concerns, of course, while keeping a long-term plan, in quotes, plan for the future in mind. But at what point do your priorities and ideals for the greater good that I, you know, was mentioned earlier uh, by, by uh, uh, Merritt come before the complaints of constituents? You see the balancing act here. Have we moved into a new phase here? No, I think we're in the exact same phase we always are, okay. which is, you know, everybody says we got to do something. I mean, just not over here, obviously. I mean, is it a surprise mm -hmm. that the the folks in Martinez Town are saying we don't want this here. Everyone always says that, right? Right. And we often hear people referring to, oh, loitering laws, which we don't have in Albuquerque, anti-vagrancy laws, which we don't have in Albuquerque, for very good reason, right? Because they were weaponized um, in racist and classist ways yep. um, to just say, ooh, that's icky. We don't want that here. And what? But we're doing the same thing, right? Say, you know, Bear Keller waved his magic wand, and all of a sudden we didn't have any homeless folks in Coronado Park. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mean, they went somewhere, right? This is just—it's not a plan. It's a—it's a shell game. Like try to, you know, move folks around and hope that, you know, what? Wait, see how long it takes people to complain stridently, and then we, you know, push them off, do something, move them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You might want to run a little crawler that says this is not a repeat because I'll say the same thing I have said so many times, right? Mm -hmm. There is no plan here, but it's an, there is a well understood method, mechanism for doing this. There's no silver bullet um, and one simple trick that we can just do that hasn't been tried, but there's been a lot of research about housing first. You know what a great cure is for homelessness? Housing, housing Thank you. right? It requires resources. It also requires us to stop increasing the homeless population through our, you know, eviction process and letting people just not have a place to live because of rising rents. So coming at it from both ways, I mean, this is very straightforward. It just requires actual resources and an actual commitment to dedicate those resources to this rather than keep doing the same thing and throw up our hands and say, well, it still didn't work. What, what shall we do? That's right. That's right. I'll remind uh, viewers that the mayor has, as we tape this on Thursday, the mayor has until Friday, you're seeing this Friday night, uh, to either let it go when it becomes law or, you know, make a decision here uh, and sign off on the council's vote to create a moratorium. Um, Inez, we wouldn't, wouldn't have time to air the part of the conversation I had with Councillor Bassan uh, when I asked her about faith groups, churches, and others who are stepping in to create their own uh, shelter and aid areas. This is, a, this is an interesting part of this discussion to me. Should the city help these groups take on part of the burden if they're willing? I think that anyone who wants to help the least fortunate among us uh, should get help from whether the city, the state, whoever. Yes, I, I do think so. In, mm -hmm. in Santa Fe, years ago, we had a winter where many people froze to death outside right. and our interfaith groups got together and created the interfaith shelter at Pete's Place, which sadly was an old pet store um, it's always kind of boggles my mind that our homeless shelter is an old pet store. But mm -hmm. since that happened, we've had homeless people die, but not many of them have frozen to death. Okay. And I really think that was a, a great showing of how 
people could work together, faith communities and the city government to create a place where people could be safe in the winter. You know, I'll, I'll say this to Albuquerque because obviously Santa Fe is going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Lincoln Park in Las Vegas, New Mexico was shut down by the mayor because there were so many unhoused people oh. basically ruining the park. And this is like an iconic park in Newtown when you come off Grand and up 7th Street. Um, so we're all facing this. This isn't just Albuquerque's problem. It's across New Mexico. You can either have unsafe outdoor spaces or you can try to have safe outdoor spaces. Right. And while I think you can criticize leaders for saying there's not a plan, the plan is to kind of consolidate some of the encampments, make them safer, get people connected with services, and doing what Surge says is so important, getting them housed as much as you can, mm -hmm. and treating every person who is unhoused as an individual, because a long-term street addict is gonna need a different service than the person who just got divorced and her husband cleaned out the bank account and now she has no place to live. Mm -hmm. So we really examples. have to treat every individual as an individual and find solutions that work for them and stop evictions, stop creating more people without housing mm -hmm. and try to talk to the neighbors so that they can understand that maybe this camp isn't going to be the people in their front yards, you know, breaking in their houses. Because I understand why neighbors don't trust government. You know, because we all have seen people pushing carts around and, you know, foraging through our yards. Um, and it, it's worrisome. It mm -hmm. is. And you have to listen to those constituents. But you also have to understand that we're in a great upheaval and we've got to help people who need help. That's right. Good point there. Merritt, we've got to talk about this one. The big part of the mayor's plan to address this issue is the Gateway Center. It's getting closer to opening, but as the attention around this problem grows and grows and grows, I'm starting to wonder, is one facility going to be enough to make a real difference here? Is this just the tip of something bigger? I'm sure just saying no. <laughs> uh, what, I'm you're curious on your thoughts and Serge's thoughts in a second on this. It, what, 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 with our Gateway Center, is this the solution? Well, there are challenges to that and the tiny homes community, which, yes. um, you know, was quite county. expensive mm -hmm. and is largely vacant. Um, the Gateway Center is a more transitional facility as a shelter. But there is a reason uh, many prolonged unhoused people uh, remain that way. It is a choice. Um, and so I think there will be some reluctance, simply the logistics of getting people from these high, uh, 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 high density uh, homeless areas to the Gateway Center, uh, finding the people to transport them, uh, safety, security uh, there. Uh, the manning, all, all of that, the staffing, I think is going to be a challenge and then security within the facility uh, because I don't know that every uh, unhoused person they encounter is going to be a volunteer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Serge, I want you to touch on this as well. We started talking about Martinez Town here. What, what do the folks in Martinez Town need to do here to be heard? What's, what's, what's missing that the city just can't walk in there and drop this situation on there? on their backs like this i mean they are being heard have you heard they're in the news they're, yes you know this is the classic complaint the news they take a cameo face and report what you said and you say no one's listening to me we are listening they are being heard mm -hmm. um they have a platform and they'll get the same response that that everyone gets right oh you're right this is too 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 much of a hot potato so we'll move it on to 
to wherever we find a place where people are least less organized and less willing to complain. It doesn't solve the problem. And mm-hmm. you know, I I'm not unsympathetic to you know, to the idea of having a little bit of say in what happens in your neighborhood. But you know, we there are certain things that um, nobody really wants around, and we have to figure out a way to do it that is not. Well, if someone starts shouting, then we just move on, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like I said, I I think it is a travesty that we have these um, encampments and outdoor um, spaces because we should be focusing on permanent, stable housing, right? right? This is not a lifestyle or a choice. This is nobody wants to live on the street. Nobody wants to defecate in public. You do that because it's been you know you've been kept out of other places. All of the shelters that, you know, as Merritt alluded to, the tiny houses, tiny home village, they, you know, you you can't use, you can't drink. You have to, you know, tick a bunch of boxes before you qualify for this. Well, that doesn't work for a lot of people. And as Inez was saying, meeting people where they are is what we need to be doing, mm-hmm. right, to approach this. But this, you know, have you been to a shelter? It is, I would go there only as a very last resort. And that's right. the choice that a lot of people are making. That's right. That's right. Good last point there. That's a key point in the decision making. Thank you all for talking through that. Thanks, Gene. And thank you to our panelists. I know this is not a simple issue and we're doing our best to give you a window into the nuances that surround it. I promise you that this is not the end of our coverage. We're going to talk with organizations who are on the ground helping unhoused people every day. So stay tuned for those discussions in the coming weeks. But for now, you can check out all of our coverage to this point on our New Mexico in Focus YouTube channel. As always, everyone, thank you for listening. It means a lot to all of us here at New Mexico in Focus. If you like the podcast, check out our show Friday nights at 7 on New Mexico PBS. If that doesn't work for you, we always repost it and those individual segments on our YouTube channel so you can watch it whenever you have the time. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We always have updates throughout the week and previews leading up to our show on Friday nights. Thanks again, guys. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, August 29th, 2022. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.